This is the second week of Advent. What in the world does the Doubting Thomas scripture have to do with Advent? Well, since we're in Advent, you're going to have to wait and anticipate finding out. I'm not telling you yet. Okay, so that's just part of Advent. We'll talk about that too. Um, about 1.15 this morning, I got a call from Pastor Devin. He was sounding wimpy, which he doesn't sound wimpy very often, but he was sounding wimpy, and uh, he had a little touch of some flu symptoms that were hitting him early in the week, and he thought he had whipped it. Nah, didn't quite happen. So it's coming back. So at 1.15 in the morning, he's calling to say, hey, by the way, do you think you could prepare an Advent sermon? So anyway, that's why I'm here. So you might want to remember him in your prayers. Advent, the title of this, should you want to write it down? Of course, you'll write down everything I say, I assume, right? Pregnant in the middle. I'll explain that later. That's, I'm explaining a lot of stuff later, aren't I? It means I better move it so you guys can, can beat at least, see, who goes later than us? Anyway, you can beat somebody to the restaurants anyway. Praise God. I'm not going to make this long. What is Advent? It comes from the Latin word Adventus. And if you were like me, I went for years not knowing this, so I'm going to cover it, just in case there might be one or two of you that don't know what Advent is. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which is a translation of the Greek word parousia, and it means coming. And uh, it refers to the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. The words apply to both, both ends. Um, Advent lasts four Sundays leading up to Christmas. It dates all the way back to the 400s, what we call the 5th century. And the very first time we have record of it for sure is in Spain, where believers there, that ironically fits with one of our announcements, the believers there started doing the four weeks preparation, but they're actually looking toward epiphany, which is another uh, word that talks about the appearing, kind of tied with Easter. But every time God shows up and reveals himself, it's an epiphany, the day that you realized that Jesus was who he was and received him as Lord in your life. That was an epiphany. But anyway, it was linked, and they actually used that to prepare for baptisms in Spain at that time and in the 400s. Remember, this was just a, just a few, to us, 200 years is like massive. It's most of our history, 300 years here. But it's nothing to go to England, Ireland, or overseas. But anyway, they used that to prepare for baptism water baptism. They would go through four weeks of fasting and preparation. They would link some other things in with it, and they would have a celebration. And then as the church began to realize the linkage on this, then they began to uh, use it to look forward to the parousia, the coming of Jesus, his second coming. And then they realized as it connected the dots that the full understanding comes. This is actually talking about the Christian life. Jesus' followers, they need to constantly be understanding the comings of Jesus. And they need help because they're living in the in-between time. So that's when, um, I forget the date on that, but probably in the f about 900 or so, that's when we began observing the full Advent where we do, we go back to the past, we look forward to the future both of them. We tie the dots together. And what has happened is that has become a major tool in the church to keep us fresh, keep us centered no matter what's happened. It's taken the church through all kinds of persecution so that they would stand. 
And I think now it's probably more important than ever for us in a free nation where it's very easy to take things for granted. Here in a little bit I'll refer to one of the passages in the book of Revelation uh, where Jesus spoke to the church at Laodicea. And the description of the church at Laodicea could be a newspaper description of society, Western society in the world today, where we have plenty of stuff, don't need nothing else. And that's kind of it. That was, that's what he was getting after the church of Laodicea. They had become lukewarm. The, the following Jesus and the priorities, those things just weren't priority. It wasn't cutting edge for them, and they were losing it because of that. One of the things Advent does, it sharpens our axe. It keeps us sharp. It helps us understand. It keeps our muscles strong. It's like a world-class accident, world-class athlete spending time eating bonbons and laying in front of the TV, you know, watching as the stomach churns. And then after that, when it's time to compete, they're soft and they're wimpy and they've lost their edge. And that may be a description of the church today. So it's important for us to understand Advent is a gift from God for us. That's why we have four weeks symbolized by the candles here. The four blue candles represent the four weeks of preparation and understanding, and the one in the center represents Jesus the Christ when He actually comes. So let me get into this. Um, we balance two elements. You don't mind if I look at notes, do you? Remember, I got the notice at 1.15 and developed this at 5, so I'm like, I'm like a, a Harley-Davidson uh, operating like a 90cc motorbike up here. Brain's barely firing, but it's still going to work. Hallelujah. As long as you let me look at my notes once in a while. Hallelujah. We balance remembering and anticipating. Remembering is looking back. Anticipating is looking forward. That's the purpose of Advent. And the whole purpose is to center on the one who is the center. Jesus who came and Jesus who's coming. And I want to read a number of things that will make a difference for us. Um, we do this by looking forward to Jesus' second coming, the first two Sundays in Advent, and we look backward to remember Christ's first coming, the last two Sundays just before Christmas. Um, what started me here is... Uh, I was thinking about Jasmine Dean, and I, I, I apologized to her profusely in the first service. She was sitting there in all of her glory. There's a passage, there's a word phrase we use for it. She is great with child. And I, in my apology, I explained to Jasmine, Jasmine, you're great anyway, but right now you're really great with child. You're just huge. You're big. She's ready. I asked her if she was ready for the baby to come, and she said, well, I would really like it to be fully formed. So I said, well, 3 o'clock do? And she thought, well, <laughs> and then I went into talking about deliverance and, uh, you know, how that we do a word play. We talk about delivering the baby like delivering a package. No, no, no. By the time you get there, mom's thinking about deliver me from this. Please deliver me from this. I'll go through any, just get this over with. That's deliverance. Well, that's kind of a picture. You know, right now, Jasmine is pregnant and she's in between. She is waiting for the arrival of a baby, but in the meantime, she waits. She looks back. She's thankful for the previous eight, 
nine, nine and a half months, but she's looking forward to the future promise of a baby arriving and the celebrations and the lack of pain and being great, excessively great. So she's really looking forward to that. As a church, we live in between two. You realize we are pregnant with the promise of Jesus. When we receive Jesus as our King, as our Lord, and as our Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. He walks through life moment by moment, day by day with us, it, like a radioactive isotope that's planted inside and it radiates from the inside out. There, in the 60s, we had this crazy era, uh, I call it the polyester suit era, where we expected people to get cleaned up first before they come into church. And if you, did, if you came in, if you dared to come into a church without a suit, you weren't really welcome there, which doesn't quite compute, you know. Uh, especially that was also the era where uh, the placards and the, the street preaching, the wrong kind of street preaching, was really popular. Turn or burn, sucker, you're all going to hell. And then they accept it, but I don't, it really wouldn't work unless you had a van with suits waiting and the minute they accepted the Lord on the street, put him in a suit and then take him into church. Now, I guess that would work, but the Lord, unfortunately, has another way. So the work of God is in us. We're pregnant with the work of God. He is conforming us to the image of Jesus because we're not there yet. We're messed up. We still have crazy motives that come up out of nowhere, or maybe not nowhere. We know exactly where they're coming from. We mess up. We don't even mean to half the time, but we're just, we're kind of slip sliding our way in God's grace. I'm very thankful for the chance to start over again because we mess up, we leak. You know, the Holy Spirit fills us with His grace and His mercy, and we leak over time. I'm thankful that His tender mercies are new every morning. We can count on the Lord helping us. I'm really thankful for um, Paul giving us the language that told us that it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Kind of King James's, but it's God giving you the want to. It's God giving you the power to pull it off. That's what he's saying. And that's what life is like when you are pregnant and in between. We are pregnant with the kingdom of God. The goal, you know, whenever uh, throughout the Gospels you'll see language like he preached the gospel of the kingdom because God was after more than just slipping you uh, through the door into his kingdom. He is building a kingdom and that kingdom has front people, has an assault troops that he plants. When Jesus finished the work on the cross, rose from the dead, and ministered, and then had the Holy Spirit come and fill the disciples, he was leaving an assault team at the foot of the cliffs. That's us. And we carry the kingdom inside us, complete in all of our glory of scars, stupidity, messing up constantly, low faith sometimes. Um, in the middle of that, he is at work. That is life when you're pregnant and in between. And the Lord is working to work through us. And he, I don't, we can ask him later, but he has chosen from the beginning. There is not a single perfect human being mentioned in scriptures except Jesus. Everyone else was messed up to the max. 
I know we try to pretend Mary, maybe that uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was perfect, but last time I checked, only one was perfect. Only one. I believe God's grace is at work in Mary, and she was anointed of the Holy Spirit to do what she did. So we honor her for that. But there is no human being that was perfect. You can go down the list. You can start with Adam. You can go all the way up. There's only one other. So given that, we should actually feel pretty good. You know, we're human. We kind of like it when we see somebody else that's more screwed up than we are. So we have a whole bunch of people to work with that are all messed up. So does the Lord. It's all he has to work with. So here we are, the pregnant mess that we are, caught in the middle between a promise fulfilled and a promise yet to come. And that is one of the toughest places. I told the story about in the, this morning about in the 60s. Uh, my parents were good-hearted parents, and they wanted us to see the country. We have a big, beautiful country. I'm thankful for it. But it's really big. And the way we got around was in an unair-conditioned Chevy station wagon. And uh, I was really thrilled that Mom and Dad wanted to take us to the badlands of the Dakotas, as long as there's a hotel with a swimming pool. I was really glad about going to see Riverside, California and Disneyland as long as there was a swimming pool each and every night, and they weren't very common in the early 60s. Uh, I wasn't so thrilled about going to Maine, but we went to all these distant places where we were in the car, not for hours, but for days. And they had barely, barely slipped the gear out of reverse after backing out of the parking lot before they heard, are we there yet? And that recording played over and over and over and over for days on end before the days of tape recorders. It just went on and on. And when I got tired, my sister would pick it up and then we'd do it in the chorus. Some of you really feel the pain. You've felt that before. Well, that is a child learning the thrills of living in between, in between leaving and getting there. Advent is one of the ways we center and we, re we restore our strength and we restore our faith and we fulfill our understanding of our role in this whole picture. Advent isn't something God does. Advent is something we do. This is something He's given us. In the Protestant church for hundreds of years, we you know how if you, if you feel like something's gone too far, you overdo it to bring balance. And so we got rid of so many things in our zeal to try and get a personal relationship with the Lord that we lost some of the most valuable tools God has given the church. Since we're human and we're mostly ADD, we need visual aids sometimes. We need things that help us like communion. Well, we almost did away with that. We pull it down to these boiled down little bitty tiny wafers, you know, that kind of melt and disappear when they get close to your mouth. And uh, it's all prepackaged and that kind of stuff. I mean, we, we lost what communion was. We lost what we'd never have an Advent candle. Lord, save us. We'd never do that. But now we need Advent candles if we understand their meaning and what their purpose is. These are tools. So Advent is a powerful time. That's why we are reclaiming and rediscovering the depth 
of the Advent process where we search ourselves, we look in the past. There's some quotes here that I want to read that'll help us get there. I want to read this first. We live between the fulfilled promise of Christ's first coming and the yet-to-be-fulfilled promise of his second coming. And uh, those two things, that the promise and the promise to come, looking back at what he's done, looking forward to what we anticipate him doing, because he made the promise, he'll keep the promise. Those two things strengthen and reinforce each other, kind of like uh, having a, a valuable gold ring fitted with a 24-karat diamond. They reinforce the value. You take them together. Where you take the things of the past that have been done, the promises have been kept, both in scriptures and in your personal life, and you combine that with the promises of that which is not yet. And that helps you in the in-between moment. We are in-between. We're anticipating His coming. We're looking at a world that seems like it's only good at screwing up and, and moving faster. We keep perfecting our ability to mess stuff up. We get more educated and become educated fools, but education is good, but it's no substitute for the king, no substitute for wisdom. So we're pregnant in the middle. We need this. Um, I actually been reading uh, some things written by an Anglican priest lately, a theology professor. His name is Justin Holcomb. He put it this way. While Advent is certainly a time of celebration and anticipation of Christ's birth, it's more than that. It's only in the shadow of Advent that the miracle of Christmas can be fully understood and appreciated, and it's only in the light of Christmas that the Christian life makes any sense. Let me say that again. It's one of those think moments. You probably won't find a T-shirt with this, okay? So you kind of have to, I have to read it twice. It's only in the shadow of Advent that the miracle of Christmas can be fully understood and appreciated, and it's only in the light of Christmas that the Christian life makes any sense. We, for instance, to understand the value of light, you should step into a fully darkened room. If you guys have ever been in a cave where there is no light, no reflected light, no absorbed light, nothing. If you've ever been in true pitch dark, then you really appreciate the power in one candlelight of power. Just light a match, and to you it seems like a torch in that moment. In Advent, we look at what it cost the Lord. I love John 3.16 where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If we, if we go into the cost, that's why I advocate you looking at even at the history of Israel. You know, the, the descendants of Abraham waited almost 6,000 years for the fulfillment of promise. The Old Testament is really a, one of the things is, is a record of the ups and downs of a people waiting for a promise that had not yet come to pass. And it became so difficult for them that many of them lost their way. And when the promise actually was fulfilled, they didn't even recognize it. Well, we are waiting, been waiting for almost 20 centuries for a promise that's not quite yet fulfilled, but it's going to be. 
And the secret we have is the secrets we can learn from the Scriptures. One of the greatest strengths in the Old Covenant is they would go back and look at God's faithfulness. The first thing would go is the Exodus. They would look at God's promise being kept when He delivered what started out as a small family group, a handful of people, but He freed over a million people from slavery and transform them from a small family to an entire nation with a prophetic destiny to bless the entire world. It took thousands of years and multiple generations, but God was faithful. He kept His promise, and He upended human history in the process. Now that first coming of Christ has happened, we need to understand the value of that so that instead of seeing a little plastic baby in a, in a manger that we gloss over and get irritated by, because of all the stuff tied to the holiday, we get the depth of it. We teach our children and our grandchildren the depth of it. That helps us also in the in-between moment, anticipating the coming of the Lord and our role in establishing His kingdom. Again, we're not here just to wait. We're here to work. He has anointed us. He actually deputized us and gave us authority to show the same compassion for the broken, the same determination to stand up for injustice, the same gift to, to lift up the lonely and to draw people in. He did not call us here simply to wait and sit. He called us here to work and to do and to shine, even in the glory of our goofiness. In fact, if you kind of listen to some of the writings in the New Testament, Paul seemed to take glory in, in uh, the weaknesses of people. He loved to see God take lowly people and do great things with them because God gets all the glory and people don't. We're in that place. We're pregnant, we're great with child, and we're in between. So I just I want to encourage you. And that in-between thing, the two things that concern me, there are many, but one is the doubting Thomas syndrome, thus the scripture we read that concerned Thomas. At the end of that passage in John 20, Thomas finally believes after seeing things with his own eyes and touching Jesus with his own hands. Wouldn't you love to do that today? I would. But I love what Jesus said. Thomas finally gets it, says, my Lord and my God. Those words are supercharged in Hebrew and in Greek. But Jesus said, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who are pregnant and in between. Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. You and I, because we're people, we're human beings, we are logical and emotional. We like to have evidence. We, grew up, we grow up in a society here that's primarily pragmatic. It's a, philosophical term, but it means we want to have solid proof that's reproducible in a controlled situation. And so if it doesn't exist, then, you know, our whole society around us, including in our universities, think it's bogus, excessive, just an add-on. It's not important. When the reality is, everything depends on it. The reality is, all the matter we see, all the physical laws depend and hinge upon Jesus. It's all sustained. It was created by and sustained through Jesus Christ. That's the reality. So we're dealing with this um, doubting Thomas syndrome constantly on a daily and yearly basis. We also wrestle with the lukewarm syndrome, and that's described in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. There are seven churches that are mentioned. The last one is the church of Laodicea. 
Laodicea had a problem. They're the ones basically were saying, hey, we have houses, food, clothes, all the money we need. We really don't need anything. And Jesus was saying, you're lukewarm. I want you hot. We deal with that because we're distracted. We are, most of us don't face persecution for being believers. And uh, we, the biggest things we face tend to be personal in nature. We face real crisis with bad diagnoses of cancer or MS or multiple problems we're facing. We face real problems with our relationships. We face real problems with emotional wounds that we get inflicted by other people or by institutions. So they're real wounds. They don't compare with losing your life most time, like believers are in many parts of the world today, but those are real. Advent and also Lent, those are two times that we are given as believers where we can sharpen our faith by examining ourselves, by studying the Scriptures, learning again the cost, the investment, the kind of love that God exemplified in John 3.16, that love is still active. It's that love that fulfills the second promise. God isn't out here to beat people with a baseball bat. He is light. Darkness doesn't do well around Him. But his heart is to see all of us. He would love to see all of his kids come home. Uh, I have a, a, f a friend that I'm really close to in Louisiana, and his daddy's an old-time preacher, and he likes to always say whenever the family gets together, I'm always happiest when all the chicks are at home under the roost. And that's when he likes to see all the kids, grandkids, aunts, uncles, everybody all gathered in one place, even if they can't hardly fit in the house. Well, the Lord that's the ultimate granddaddy wanting to see all his family under the roost, if at all possible. It's that compassion he has. And the more we spend time and investment learning the value of what happens at Christmas, it'll eliminate the plastic side. It'll push that stuff aside. And most importantly, as we take time for Advent, remembering, anticipating the Lord's coming, looking forward to every miracle and epiphany he gives us today, tomorrow, and next week. It strengthens us. It helps us go through the process of living in between while still pregnant, but knowing the moment is coming when that promise comes fully true. And it helps us be a witness today. You guys can stay.